What are you doing here? It's a sermon title this morning. Elijah. We're going to talk about like how he got where he was, but we need to understand just quickly by way of introduction some background of what has just happened. In verse 1, it says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. What Elijah had just done was possibly, other than Moses parting the Red Sea, possibly the greatest miracle of the Old Testament. That's what Elijah had just done. He was on Mount Carmel. Really first, let me explain first what had happened. To bring judgment upon Israel, he prays that the heavens would stop up rain. And for three and a half years, it hasn't rained. The drought is killing everything. And finally, the wicked king of Israel comes and says, Elijah, what do we got to do here? Elijah says, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to have a showdown. You get all of your prophets, and I'm going to meet you on Mount Carmel. And we're going to see whose God is God. And so in verse or chapter 18, right before this chapter, Elijah's on Mount Carmel. And you, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you might know the story. Elijah tells the false prophets, 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah. He tells all of them, all 850 together, you guys do your best work. And you try to get your gods to send fire from heaven. This is how we're going to know whose God is really God. Whose God really rules the heavens is the one that sends fire. And so he lets them go first. And if you read the story, nothing happens. And Elijah, he, he kind of mocks them a little bit. I mean, he's like, whoa, maybe, maybe your God's hearing's getting a little weak and you need to shout louder. Maybe he's on vacation and he's just not around. But it seems like your God doesn't seem to hear. Finally, they give up. I mean, it's, it's been a bloody day. They've cut themselves. They've tried to invoke their demonic gods to somehow send fire from heaven. It's a bad day for them. And finally, they say, all right, your turn, Elijah. Elijah says, you got it. So he builds an altar that he wants the Lord to set on fire. But before he goes, he said, I want you to dig a moat around this altar, and I want you to fill it with water, and I want you to pour water out on the altar. It's like, this is going to be so amazing what happens. Only God could do this. And Elijah prays. God sends fire from heaven. It licks up the water. It lights the altar on fire. And everybody that's there, nearly a thousand in attendance, they know that Elijah's God is the God of heaven and earth who sends power from heaven and sent down the fire. They know. And then Elijah kills all 850 of these false, wicked, lying prophets. He then prays and God sends rain. That was his deal. That's what he told Ahab. That was how it was going to work. And so it's been proven who the God of heaven is. And Elijah prays and rain is coming. When you read verse 1 of our text and it says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, that's what he told her. And yet... One chapter later, Elijah is praying, God, please kill me. Take away my life. My life is terrible. 
And he ends up in a cave by himself, hiding in fear. And I want to ask the question, how do you go from the mountaintop of Mount Carmel to running like a coward and hiding in a cave? How do you do that? How does a guy go from, I'm willing to face 850 prophets all by myself up on a mountain, to the next set of days, he's so depressed, he just wants to die. How does this happen? It's a really important question to be able to know. And here's the reality that a lot of us know is true, but we're embarrassed to admit. All of us at times are like Elijah. Like we're on the mountaintop with God. We know God is good. We know God is strong. We know God that's able. We know that God's in control. We know that God's on our side. We're fearless. We're ready to praise. Everything's good. And then it seems like somehow, you know, a week later, two weeks later, all of a sudden, we're like, life is terrible. And this is the worst thing ever. And it, I just, and we're depressed. And we're just like Elijah. We're defeated. We're discouraged. We're dealing with depression. We're in despair. How do we go from one extreme to the other? That's a really important question to answer. And it's really like the same thing God was saying to Elijah when he said, what are you doing here? What? This isn't where you're supposed to be. What are you doing here, Elijah? This morning, I want to share with you four warnings about spiritual leadership. We see them all in our text. Number one. The first warning about spiritual leadership is that spiritual victories are often followed by greater attacks. Spiritual victories are often followed by greater attacks. You have to understand something about our enemy. He is ruthless, tireless, and he never gives up. Most Christians really have no idea about spiritual warfare it sounds like some, you know, heroic term. They think it's some, like, metaphor for something. But when you really get involved in true spiritual battle, and like Elijah, your life begins to make a difference for the kingdom of God, you have a target on your back. And what you need to recognize is that when you're willing to start living your life for God, and as I said, this is especially applicable to spiritual leaders, when you start making a difference for the kingdom of God, and you start literally fighting back the kingdom of darkness. You need to know that the enemy's not just going to be like, wow, that was a really great victory there on Mount Carmel. We better leave this guy alone. No. The exact opposite happens. And now it's like there is this greater attack to try to stop what God is doing in your life and through your life. And if you think as a spiritual leader that somehow you're going to get your life right, you're going to get your theology right, you're going to get prepared to teach, you're going to get prepared to reach people, and then you're going to go out and you're going to do it, and you're going to see success, and then at that moment everything gets easy, listen, be warned. I mean, this is a warning. You've got to get prepared here. That's not how this thing works. In fact, the attack continues to get worse. Number two, second warning, choose wisely who you listen to. You know what really happened here? We see in verse two and three. This is where everything goes wrong for Elijah. Verse two, 
Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also. Just a second. You mean the gods that just were unable to show up and do anything a few days earlier? The gods that were utterly incapable of protecting your 850 prophets? The gods that were unable to hear when they were prayed to? Those same gods? Yes. But Elijah doesn't process that. Here's what she says. So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as one of them, the prophets that died, if I don't make your life as one of them by this time tomorrow. Now look at the first four words of verse three. Then he was afraid. You know where Elijah went wrong is he just started listening to the threats of Jezebel. That's where it all started. Jezebel said, you're gonna die. And Elijah just heard it, believed it, received it, and all of a sudden, he's afraid. Now, why wasn't he afraid to face 850 prophets all by himself up on the mountain? There was a certain confidence that no matter what, God's with him, right? He just knew, God, like, God's with me. But in this moment, he began to listen to the wrong voice. I'm going to tell you there are a few things that will get you off track in ministry. There are a few things that will get you off track in your spiritual journey than listening to the wrong voices. And you're going to find sometimes they are the voices of your enemies. They are the Jezebels in your life that want you to believe you're going to die if you keep this up. Sometimes we're our worst critics. I'm going to tell you some voices you've got to learn to hear and fight off spiritual leaders. It's a voice you, you, often it comes from you. You're not worthy. Somebody else better than you should be doing this. You know, nobody knows your failures as good as you do. Nobody knows the thoughts that run on your mind that you wish would somehow disappear. Nobody knows those thoughts like you do. And you know what happened? You'll start talking to yourself. I have no business being here. I got no business doing ministry. I got no business doing this. I've got no business doing that. God, you, God needs somebody else. And we start to hear this voice. Basically says, it's always the same end, quit. No matter what, that's what the voice leads you to, quit. Stop doing what you're doing. Give up on doing work for God, quit. You've got to be careful who you listen to. You've got to guard what you allow to go in these ears of yours and then this mind of yours and ultimately into this heart of yours. And you've got to make up your mind, I am not going to listen to the voice of the haters in my life who are trying to tell me and discourage me to stop doing what I'm doing for God. Elijah listened to the wrong voice. Number three, beware of thinking you're the only one serving God. You know, this was Elijah's, um, his answer. What are you doing here, Elijah? And his answer is basically, I've been a God-fearing person and nobody else does but me. And now everybody doesn't like me and I'm all alone and I'd rather die. I mean... How does a guy go from being like the hero of Mount Carmel to that? We've got to guard ourselves against thinking we're the only ones that have ever been through this and that we're the only ones serving God. 
We're not. And in fact, eventually, God rebukes Elijah and says, there's like 7,000 that you don't know anything about in Israel, dude. You ain't the only one. You're not the only person who's faithful to me. You're not the only person who hasn't bowed the knee. You're not the only person who's doing what's right, Elijah. But here's what you're going to find. When we get wounded, when we become fearful, when we begin to hear the lies of the enemy, when we go the wrong way, we start to kind of get in this little self-pity zone. And I'm talking to, you know, all Christians, but especially as spiritual leaders, we start to get in this, you know, this little pity zone where it's like, well, I'm the only one. Nobody's really as serious about God as me. I'm the only one that's all in. Everybody else is fakes. Everybody else is there. They're going to bend. Here's what's so wild about that. That is such an arrogant, prideful attitude that we ought to be ashamed of when it raises its ugly head up. You got to guard your heart against thinking you're the only one. It takes on the form of self-pity. It sounds real kind of like sad, like you're a poor little victim. But really, it's just this twisted version of devilish pride. Like you think yourself way higher than everybody else. You think you're the only one. And, you, and like Elijah, you're running for your life here. Do you not realize like you're, God never told you to be here, and yet you still think yourself as Mr. High and, and Holy, and you don't even see your own faults. You don't even see how silly you're being. We must, as spiritual leaders, not get high-minded and think, well, we're the only ones. We're the only people serving God. We're not. Number four, don't expect God to answer by fire. God speaks to Elijah in a still, small voice. And I want us to look at the way that God deals with Elijah. This is a very important principle on how God deals with spiritual leaders who have gone the wrong way. First of all, when you read verses 4 through 8, it's a really interesting principle. It's one that when I was in my early 20s, I heard for the first time, and I thought, well, that's pretty dumb. I heard a, a wise pastor one time say, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. That was the statement. I heard it, and I thought, well, that's dumb. The most spiritual thing you can do is get an extra hour of Bible reading. Wrong. <clears throat> well, not when your brain's fried. Not when you're so emotionally exhausted you can't read three lines and even process what you're reading. Not when you go out to pray and you're so stinking tired you can't even focus on praying and you're just you're, you're, you're nodding off. You know what you need then? A nap and some food. And it's interesting. That's what God does. Elijah's so tired he falls asleep. The angel wakes him up and gives him food and water and then he goes back to sleep, gets him another nap in. And then he wakes him up and gives him food and water again. There's a really important principle here, folks. It is necessary, especially for spiritual leaders that are doing battle like Elijah here, to recognize at times you're going to get tired, you're going to get exhausted. Yes, spiritual work is sometimes physically exhausting. And you need to learn how to just take a little bit of rest, get yourself a nap, get yourself some food in the tummy, get yourself hydrated, get you nap number two, 
and then, and then it's time to start doing some business. Elijah gets up, and he just keeps going, and he goes to a cave, and God shows up, and God says to Elijah, what are you doing here? It's pretty interesting because it says the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the first portion. And then the Lord comes before Elijah in the second one. It's difficult to really interpret exactly what the difference between the two was, but it's, it's worth noting that it was written in such a way that it was like two different ways God tried to speak to Elijah. And the first time the word of the Lord comes, and we see Elijah gives his story of self-pity, and then the second time when Elijah knows he's before the Lord, he says the exact same thing word for word verbatim. Like, well, God must have not heard me the first time. I'm the only person who loves you, God. There is nobody else but me. My world is really sad. I'm here because I should be here. And God eventually just answers that directly with a go, return home. He just totally ignores it altogether. It says that God smoked, smoked, spoke to him in a still small voice or in a low whisper. You know, I think this is really important, especially for spiritual leaders. God does not always, and I would say God rarely, answers by fire. Here's the warning. Don't expect God to answer by fire. Elijah was in the low point of his life here, and you know what I, and this is what I believe. This is what Joplin believes. The text does not say this. I'm just telling you this is what Joplin believes. I believe that Elijah wanted God to respond similar to what happened on Mount Carmel. God showed up in a really powerful way, did something incredibly unique there, and it was like Elijah wanted God to do the exact same thing or something very similar with Jezebel in this situation, and God instead brings Elijah out to the, the mouth of the cave where he can see what's going on out of darkness, and wind comes, a wind that Elijah's never seen before, so powerful, it splits rocks. I mean, that's a powerful wind that splits rocks, but God's not in it. And then God causes an earthquake. And God's not speaking to him through the earthquake. And then God brings fire again. I think it's interesting that third thing was fire. But this time there is no message from the fire. And then comes the still small voice. Really important you understand that, spiritual leaders, and, and really even Christians as well. Most of the time when God does answer by fire, it's because he needs to make a point. Uh, a lot of times it is to awaken a, a, a dead spirit. It's to awaken somebody's soul. It's to... It's, it's to deal with 850 false prophets. It's to cause somebody to, that's dead in their sins, dead in their trespasses, to, to be awakened in their heart and see that God is real, that he is present, that he is powerful, that they need him. And you'll find that a lot of times a salvation experience, it sort of has this God answering by fire moment to it. But it doesn't stay that way. And what we're prone to want and our little pity parties, those of you who are living your life in the cave right now, you want God to answer by fire. If God would just blow the roof off the place and undeniably do something super powerful, then you'll come out of that cave. God says, that is not how I work. You are not God. You don't get a demand to God how he does or doesn't speak. 
And God says, I will speak in the still, small voice. And you're going to choose to either listen or not. I find it super interesting. God came to where Elijah was. Isn't that awesome? God wasn't sitting somewhere else on his throne. You know, like, Elijah, you want to get things right, you know where to find me. God came to where he was. And God has a way of doing this with his servants. And the ultimate advice that he gave, and it's something else, very important that you understand, spiritual leaders, God does not uh, typically pamper his servants. You know who needs pampered? Babies. That's who needs pampered. Little children. They need pampered. Warriors do not. True servants of God do not. And Elijah, he's wanting a little pampering. He's wanting to be acknowledged. He's the only one there is. There's nobody like me, God. God does not even respond to that. The first time Elijah says it, God's like, go to the cave of the mountain. And then he speaks in a still small voice and says, Elijah, what are you doing here? I asked the question the first time, and your answer was stupid. I'm going to ask it a second time. What are you doing here? And then Elijah gives him the exact same answer. And God finally decides, I'm just going to speak to this. Here's his answer. Go. Get back to where you're supposed to be and get to work. This is the truth, spiritual leaders. A lot of times what God is trying to tell us to do, we don't want to hear it. We want to be pampered. But if you're going to get back on track, you just, I'm just warning you, God's not going to answer by fire. It's typically a still small voice. And if you want things to get made right, you better learn to hear what he says and just do it. I had an example of this in my life, really the worst example. I've had others, but I learned through what I'm about to share with you, this story in my life. And I've never been quite as rebellious as what I'm about to tell you towards God. Uh, Early 20s, and I just became really frustrated with God. And I was in a situation, I was in my Elijah moment. I was in a situation where everything seemed like it was going wrong. And I was so angry and I was so mad. And my whole line of reasoning, it it sounded even stupider than Elijah's, trust me. But I was in a mess. I was in a mess because of my own actions. Stupid decisions. I was in a financial mess. An emotional mess. I was 21 years old and I remember we we wanted to move into a home. And I remember praying like, God, if this is where you want us to be, let me get the loan. Turns out it has more to do with your credit score than praying, but that's a bad way to do it, right? Like, you know, if you got a great credit score and financially the, the, the math works, believe it or not, a lender's going to give you the loan whether you need it or not. 21 years old, thought I needed a garage. To be more specific, 1,200 square foot Morton building with a drive through bay for semis and two additional bays beside it. And uh, would you know it, it maxed us out. Short story, I found myself in financial problems based upon stupid financial decisions that I made, and I wanted God to bail me out of my mess. And I was mad. 
And I begin to think, well, I need, you know, it's too late now. I already own it. So I need, you know, X amount to do this. And this needs to happen. This needs to happen. And God, you promised that you're the God who meets needs. And you're not meeting this need in my life. So I don't even know what I believe anymore. Would you believe I got there? Because I did. And I had a day at work one time, about 2 p.m., where I decided I was done with ministry. I couldn't tell people anymore God was good. Couldn't tell people God answers prayers because he hasn't fixed the mess that I put myself in. And I told God, I'm done. I'm going to resign. And truly, I wasn't going to quit church. I was just never going to do ministry again. I thought to myself, I will be the best church member that some old pastor has ever had. I know how hard church members can be sometimes, and I knew how to be a super good one. And I'm like, that's what I'll be. I'll be the model church member. On the way home, I was angry. I was mad. But I was, I was teaching God a lesson. I didn't want to be around my wife. I was so just frustrated, so I decided after work, I'm going to go home, and I'm just going to change clothes, and I'm going to go to the gym. And I went to the gym, and I was working out. And there was a kid there that two months previously, I had been told he was trying to get a hold of me. This is back in the early 2000s, before everybody had you know, social media and everything else. And it wasn't always easy to get a hold of people. He didn't have my number. Somebody he had ran into somewhere contacted me and said, Hey, this guy's trying to get a hold of you. He's thinking about turning his life around. He's trying to clean things up. He wants to know how you did it. He's interested in your church. And wouldn't you know it, I'm working out, and this same kid walks in. And it made me mad, because normally I'd witness to the guy but I'm like, God, I done told you I'm done. I'm not ever doing anything for you again. I was so mad. And in order to leave that building, I actually had to come within three feet of him. And I mean, I was going to teach God a lesson. And I, I, I walked right past him. I didn't say hi. I didn't acknowledge him. We grew up and went to school together. I was so mad. Throwing my pity party. And I got to my truck, and I put my hand on the, the driver's side door to open up, that, uh, open up the driver's side door and get in. And I heard the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit ask me a very similar question. And this was, this was the question I was asked was, so is this really it? And I heard it. I mean, I heard the voice. And it, it shook me. And it, it was like I was paralyzed there with my hand on my door. My first answer was, I don't know. I don't know if this is it. I just know I am so tired and I am so done and I don't understand. I'm confused and God's not answering my questions and I'm praying and there hasn't been a solution. And it's like, just like Elijah, it was like there was no response to that. Uh, so I asked, is this it? And I said with a much more sense of humility, I don't know. I don't know. And this is what I heard God say to me. As clear as clear can be. Get back in there and do what you're told, soldier. And it made me mad. And I'm telling you something. I'm talking to spiritual leaders this morning. God does not pamper us. If God pampers you, it's because you're still a little baby and you need to be pampered. This is war. You sit with warriors, you find they talk a little different. They see life a little different. 
And I'm telling you in that moment, I did not want to hear that. It made me mad. No answer to my complaints. You're not even going to hold me and say you're sorry for me. The answer is, get back in there and do what I'm told. And I sit there mad with a decision to either obey the clear voice of God or to open that door and consciously sin against God. And I released the door, thank God that I did, and I went back in there angry and mad. Everything wasn't fixed. My life wasn't better. My problems hadn't gone away. And I went to the bathroom and I tried to compose myself because I was so, I mean, I was emotionally a mess, washed my face, tried to look like a happy guy that was really excited to tell somebody about Jesus. And I went back in and I talked to that young gentleman and I talked to him about his life and where he was at and the Lord and what he needed to do. And, and I left that day and it's one of the best decisions I've ever made in all of my Christian life was the decision to simply know what I heard and obey it. This is the way. God doesn't always speak by fire. Sometimes it is that still, small voice. I'm going to ask our worship team, as you guys get into place, I want to answer the simple question of, so like, if you're there this morning, if that's you, you're somewhere you shouldn't be, God says to you, what are you doing here? How do we get out? The answer is really, really simple. Really simple. It really comes down to point number two. Choose wisely who you listen to. You need to know what God has told you to do, and you need to do it. That's it. You don't need to understand why. God doesn't have to fix all your problems. God doesn't have to answer all your questions. You need to hear that still, small voice. What is God telling you to do? And you just need to do it. And you need to be like I had to be. You need to be like Elijah had to be. And you just got to get over it. God's not always going to answer every question that you have. In Elijah's case, God did answer it. And Elijah probably still didn't like that answer. God said, hey, dude, also, by the way, now that you've got your instructions, you know what you're supposed to do. By the way, you're not actually the only one. There's 7,000 others. Your whole premises this whole time was ridiculous, you little child. Grow up. Get out of your pity party and understand that whatever's going on with those 7,000 that you had no idea existed, I've got my own thing going on with them. God said, I have preserved them. That's what God said. He didn't say there's 7,000 hiding like cowards that I think somehow we can do something with. He said, I have preserved them. Whatever's going on with them is none of your business, but I've actually preserved a whole lot more than you think so, and I'm in charge. What you need to know, Elijah, what you need to know, sir, what you need to know, ma'am, is what is God telling you to do, and you need to do that thing and that's the path back it's so simple what is God telling you to do this morning maybe you're here this morning you've been hurt you've been wounded maybe life hasn't worked the way you thought it should and you don't understand like God how come why 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 you listen even if God tried to explain to you the why behind everything we'd still never be able to understand it his ways are higher than our ways the question isn't about us telling God what we think God needs to do. It's about us hearing from God, God, what do you want me to do? And being willing to hear that still small voice and say, God, the answer is yes. If you say go, I will go. You 
want me to go do this? I'll go do this. Lord, you are God, and what you say is what matters. 